0: just something about that name. Amen. All right. We're going to be in the book of James. I know it's a curveball for everybody, right? We've been in the series in Galatians. Uh, But this week, considering that we're going into Thanksgiving week, and this is the time that our our society says we need to spend time to be thankful uh, for all that, uh, at least in our view, all that God has given us, I thought it might be good to have a sermon uh, considering that, being thankful in everything. Being thankful in everything. That is what Scripture, what God calls us to do in Scripture, to be thankful in everything. Um, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another. And for all, rejoice always, pray constantly, And give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you and just say thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for all the good gifts that you've uh, bestowed upon us, Lord. The the food that you've given us throughout our lives, Father, the very air that we're breathing, Lord, is all a gift from you. And so we just want to take this opportunity to acknowledge you, the giver of all that is good, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we open up your word, that your spirit would guide us into all truth. God, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts, that we wouldn't just receive uh, these words of scripture in our head, Lord, um, but that your spirit would uh, be active in our hearts, Father, that you would uh, transform us more into the image of Jesus um, through the preaching of your word and through the ministering of your spirit. We desperately need to hear from you this morning, God. We just ask that you would do that. Father, help us uh, at the end of this time, Lord, to walk out of here um, with a more thankful heart. And, uh, Father, we, we confess that we can't do that in our own strength. That it's through the power of your Spirit that we can do such a thing, that you might be glorified in our lives because of it. And we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Can you guys hear me okay through the speaker? Yeah? All right. Yep. All right, so give thanks in everything. So Paul says here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, I know I told you we're going to James, we will be in James, but this is where Paul tells us to be thankful in everything. This is God's will for you, right? People will come to me, I just want to know God's will for me in life, and I'll take them to this passage of Scripture. You want God's will for you? This is um, God's will for you, that you rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, right? And that's great, but if you consider uh the year twenty twenty and all the trials that we've gone through these this last year with the epidemic and all those things, um you read a verse like that and you're like, Yeah, well that's easier said than done, right? That's that's like my my initial response. Yeah, give thanks and everything, but that's easier said than done, uh considering everything that we have gone through. And so Paul and God's desire and command for us is that we are thankful in everything. And so how does that happen? How can we do that in spite of the trials, in spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves in here in 2020? We've gone through this epidemic. We've gone through uh, the the closing down of society, essentially. And we've gone through a very tough political season. uh, Still going through these things. There's no end in sight. How can we be thankful in these things? And and I just want to share with you the first chapter of James this morning. James chapter 1 gives us a roadmap on how to be thankful in everything. And if you don't have one of those handouts uh, that came in the bulletin, there's a lot of information. All this information you see here is on a piece of paper. If you'd like to have one, Gracie has some. You can just raise your hand and she can come and pass those out to you. If you'd like that to take that home, since there's a, there's a load of information here, so... Uh, so this is kind of the roadmap that James provides for us for us to be thankful in everything and it's ult- ultimately a, a a perspective that we need to keep through our trials uh, it's really easy for us to get weighed down in what's happening in, in and around us and, and to us because of everything that's beyond the circumstances that are beyond our control and it's easy to keep our focus on that but what Scripture calls us to is to keep a heavenly perspective during these trials. And so we have uh, three different points that I want to cover today. Verses 1 through 18 cover these things. With, the first is to recognize God's eternal purpose in our trials. The second is to, as we go through these trials, to put our hope in God. And third is keep our mind fixed on the things above in the times of these trials. We are commanded to be thankful in everything Praise be to God. God gives us his scripture to give us a roadmap on how we can cooperate with the spirit, right? Because it's ultimately not in our own strength that we can have this supernatural uh, ability to be thankful and be joyous and have peace uh, in spite of the circumstances that are happening in life. And so let's look at the first one here in verse 1 of James 1. The first point is, our trials produce endurance, Our trials produce endurance. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. So we see here James is the half-brother of Jesus. This is probably the first letter, the earliest letter of the New Testament. And he's writing to, as we see here, these messianic believers. These were Jewish people who heard the gospel message of Jesus being the Messiah, that believing and trusting in him, they can be reconciled to their God. It wasn't through the law of Moses as we've been covering in Galatians, but it was through the promises given to Abraham that this Messiah would come, would make a way for us to have salvation that is uh, a salvation gifted to us. It is upon the merits of God and not on any merit of our own righteousness, but of what God has done. They heard this message and they believed. And so he's writing to these believers who are dispersed abroad so that means that they're not in Jerusalem they're not in their home uh, where you know the, the, the Jerusalem area or Judea um, in that region they're dispersed so we know it's not in Jerusalem or Judea but it's somewhere so they're out in, in, uh, in Gentile world probably and they're enduring persecution for their belief in Jesus and so he's writing this letter to, to effectually build them up in the gospel message. And he begins this letter by describing how we're supposed to endure trials. And so, yes, James is writing to these messianic believers, but the Holy Spirit, as we know, God moves and inspired the writings of Scripture, and he's preserved them for us, and so we can take these lessons for us today in 2020 and the trials that we're enduring and we can apply these things in cooperation with the spirit to help us through our trials as well and so what does james say to to us through the holy what does the holy spirit say to us through james verse number two consider it great joy my brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials you say what we're supposed to experience joy in our trials how can that be he says, consider it great joy my brothers and sisters whenever you experience various trials. And that is this goes against everything we know about trials. I don't know about you, but when I experience a trial, the thing that I try to do is get out of that trial as quick as possible. I just want to be relieved of whatever's going on, whatever's taxing me. I just want to get out of it. But James is what is James is calling us to is that the, the perspective that God has for us, that these trials are used for our good. It's a opportunity for us to experience God afresh and anew in these trials as we learn to cling to Him during these times of trial. And we should expect and come to an a understanding that a trial that is allowed in our life is really allowed by God and that us in a trial consider, should consider it a great joy because God is at work. God is at work in our lives. And so James says... Don't be sad about trials. Considered a great joy. Why? Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so the first point is we are to to see that our trials produce endurance. The trials of our faith produce endurance. I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, there was this big track and field day where Everyone got to do track and field and do all the different events. And my dad, growing up, he was a marathon runner. He'd run those really long distances, you know. And, and um, what I neglected to understand was that he got up every morning and he'd go out and he'd run and he'd train for those marathons. He didn't just wake up and go run 24 miles. He, he had to train for that. And this track and field day came and they're like, who would like to do the long distance running, like four laps, four laps around the track? And I'm like, I'll do it. I'm in seventh grade here. I'll do it. My, my dad runs marathons, so I'll be able to run long distances, right? Well, that was a mistake. Just because my dad ran marathons didn't mean that I was prepared to run long distances. And so I started off, and I just started running as fast as I could down that track, and I got to that first corner, and next thing you know, I'm, <laughs> right, breathing heavy and, and barely could walk at that point, and all these other guys just passed me. charismatic on you. All right. Wow, that was a first. Okay. Um, so, anyway, so I found out the hard way that in order to run, run long distances, you needed to build up endurance in your body. You needed to train. You needed to challenge your lungs and go out and let those lungs build strength and let your body adjust to the, to the stress and strain, strains of running a race and James is calling us to, to that saying look these trials that God has allowed into your life is an opportunity for you to build endurance in the race that has been set before you in your spiritual journey as a Christian trials are used by God to give us endurance for this race it's a means in which God produces the attributes of the Spirit in us and to conform us more into the image of Jesus. And so he says we should consider it joy when we come to trials because we know God is at work. It's not something just to get out of as quickly as possible. It's a means for a Christian to say, God, what have you to me for me to learn? What do you want me to learn through these trials? I think we can all look back on 2020 and we can see how God has used these, this, these, 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 these times to, to, to really challenge our way of life and what we really consider as important. And we can see, hopefully you can see back and you can see, you can see how God has guided you through those things and you can, you can make this a time where you're, well, hopefully a year from now we can look back and go, wow, God really saw us through that. It was uh, some challenging times, but, but praise be to God. God showed up. He was at work. He made us more mature. It produced endurance for us to run this race, right? The trials won't be over in a year from now. The trials might be more difficult a year from now. Only God knows those things, but but we as we take these trials in our life, we are to see from the perspective of Scripture that God has allowed it, and we should consider it great joy, because it produces endurance for the race that He has set before us. The second point is our trials produce endurance. We already said that verse four, and let the endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So our endurance, what that should say, should it should produce. Um, maturity, as the trials come and we gain that endurance for the race, it begins to mature us into the faith. God uses those things to to really strip away the things of the world, to to let us see in those trials that the things of this world that this world offers for for uh, for joy and satisfaction and completeness are just vain. They're all for naught. That it is only through God and and, and a relationship with Him that we can truly come to a uh, back to the original design that he's made for us that we can be complete in Christ and mature in Christ and, and lacking nothing because as, uh, as we uh, in, endure these trials and God changes us and transforms us we, we begin to, to walk closer with God and we begin to become completely dependent upon God and that is exactly what God originally designed us for in the garden Adam and Eve were completely dependent on God he provided and this is with us those who are in Christ he's allowed us to um, a way in which we can be uh, effectively demonstrating what he originally designed us for and that is to worship him to give him glory in our lives to be completely dependent on god and it's through these trials that at least in my experience that he's shown and demonstrated to me that it wasn't my bank account that kept me safe it wasn't my job that kept me safe that wasn't my identity. My identity was in Christ. And it is God who provides. And it was only through those trials that I was able to learn those things. Verse 5. Now if anyone lacks wisdom, he should go to God who gives all to all generously and ungrudgingly <laughs> and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. So this next point is that, uh, you know, I came up here without my little sheet. There it is. I got it. The next point is we are to, to put our hope in God. Letter be. put our hope in God, verses 5 through 8. Now, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So as we endure these trials, uh, if you're like me, these little doubts begin to creep up in my mind. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? What is God doing in this? And if I'm not careful, if I, if I get my perspective on what's happening to me and not what God is doing through this trial, I begin to doubt God and I begin to doubt God's promises. And James recognizes this and he says, Look, if anyone lacks wisdom, this the ability to discern what God is doing or this ability to keep our focus on God, let them ask. If you doubt, ask God. He will give you wisdom who gives you to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Knowledge is part of wisdom, but it's also an ability to discern that in spite of my circumstances, I know God is at work. That is the wisdom that is from above that keeps our perspective on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. And so to be able to be thankful in everything we need to recognize god's eternal purpose the testing leads to endurance endurance leads to maturity and um we are to put our hope in god and it's easy to say we can put our hope in god but this is the the practical way we can do that god i'm not understanding what's going on in my life right now give me wisdom to understand what is happening why are you allowing this And the promises is that we ask, he will give it to us generously and ungrudgingly. But there's a caveat to that. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And so he says we are to ask for wisdom, but we're not to ask Doubting, We're supposed to ask in faith. We are, uh, he describes this person who is being tossed around by a storm. They're just going here and going there because their life, they're enduring a trial. And they're, so they're trying out Jesus, and, and Jesus isn't helping. So they're going to go somewhere else and find an answer. They're going to they're go somewhere, uh, uh, some Eastern religion. They're just trying different things to figure out how they can get re- delivered from this trial. And James says, look... For a Christian, we are to put our hope in God. We are to ask for wisdom. We are to seek God's face. And we are to do it in a walk of faith, even though we can't see what God is doing. We still, by faith, trust that God is at work and God is allowing these trials for a reason. And we will trust God for his promises, that he will never leave us nor forsake us in our trials. We are to ask with faith. Is Tara back there? Are you following me along? Trying? My, my little remote control is not working. So, All right. So we go on. Let them ask of faith. And then that person should not receive anything from the Lord. So we're to not doubt God in that. Um, he goes on to say, those are people are, like, are being double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And so we are to endure the trial. We are to look for God. We are to place our hope in God. We are to seek his wisdom in those things. And then he goes on here to let uh, her see. Let her see in our handout. We are to keep our mind fixed on the things above. And the first one is we are to live for eternity and not for the world. We are to live for eternity and not the worldly. And he gives us this um, example here in verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances... Boast in his exaltation. So more than likely, he's writing to, a, to people that are poor. And he says, the brother that is in humble circumstance, boast in your exaltation because you are in a spot in life in this world where you have to rely on God. God has to provide for you because you don't have a means in which uh, the riches or the bank account or the, the 401k or your job to, to identify your, your comfort and, and to protect you from the trials that this life can bring. Those are to be exalted, and he gives us the, the, the other example. But let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. Those who have these materialistic things that can help them tend to have a tendency not to rely on God because they have all these other things. But let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower in the field. Verse 11, for the sun rises and together with the short scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. So that's one a good verse for us that aren't rich this morning, right? It's like, oh, good, I can be exalted, right? Because I can rely on God. It's just a warning, and even if we don't consider ourselves rich compared to the rest of the world, we're pretty rich in America. And it can be easy to put our hope and faith and trust in, in the, the, the things of this world to protect us from the trials and the circumstances of this life. But ultimately, Scripture and James here through the Holy Spirit is calling us to put our trust in God alone. Number 12. We are to keep our eyes on the prize. Keep our eyes on the prize. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's the prize. The life that is to come. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's not what we gain in this life i'm sorry but it's not your best life now the life that god has promised is the life that is to come we will receive a crown of life we will be forever dwelling with our god we will be his people and his god our god will be amongst his people and there will be no more sorrow no more tears no more death no more sin That is what God has purchased for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that is what we keep our eyes on as we endure the trials of this life. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We are to keep our eyes on the prize. We are to keep our eyes on the things that are above He goes on in verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. And so this next point is we are to be careful where we place our blame. Part of trials in this life is a trial or we can enter into a trial when we are tempted to sin, to act against God, to go outside the bounds that God has has uh, has laid out for us to protect us from those things that uh, can be detrimental to our, our own personal life, to our families, to those around us. Part of being in a trial sometimes is being tempted and, and, and succumbing to the temptation. And James recognizes this, that that is part of a trial as well, but what he's calling us to understand is that as you go in and you're tempted, it is not God who is tempting you. Yes, it's a trial, and yes, God might have allowed that trial, but He's not the one trying to lure you into temptation and to 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 sin against Him. And so James recognizes that that's common; that may, may be a common excuse for us to blame God for allowing this temptation to happen. Right? That's the, He's saying you can't do that. But that's our natural tendency. If we look at the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, God creates everything. He says, it is good, it is good. He creates man. He says, it's not good that they should be alone, or he should be alone. So he creates Eve, and the, the two shall become one flesh. We have this beautiful picture of Eden, what God has originally designed. And then we, chapter 3 comes, and, and uh, uh, they are tempted by the serpent, and they partake of the fruit. And God comes looking for them, and they're hiding, right? They're hiding from God. God finds him, says, "Adam, what's going on? Did you partake of the fruit? What was Adam's response? God, the the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, it it, it's it's her fault. But ultimately, what he's doing is he's saying, God, it's it's ultimately your fault because you're the one that gave me Eve. You're the one that gave her as my helpmate, and she's the one that tempted me, insinuating that God made a mistake." But we can all do that. And that's what James is telling us. We, can't, we, don't, we should not see these temptations that we encounter as God tempting and alluring us or putting us to a test. And he goes on to tell us why temptation comes and why we sin. It's not of God, it's of ourselves. Verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away, as an enticed by his own evil desires. It is not God tempting you. It is your own desires. And you're tempted when you're drawn away and when you're enticed by those evil desires. He goes on to say, and then after desire has conceived, so he's given us a metaphor of birth. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. It is the means in which we sin and are tempted. So when we're in those trials and we succumb to temptation, it is not a God. It is because of our own evil desires and so he gives us these warnings right to keep be thankful in everything we are to recognize god's eternal purpose that those testing the trials of our testing leads to endurance that endurance leads to maturity and as we're going through those trials scripture calls us again and again to look to god keep our hope in god And we are to keep our minds fixed on the things that are above. We are to live for the eternal things and not of the worldly things. And we are to keep our eyes on the prize that ultimately this this trial, whatever we're facing in this world, it is is all but life is but a vapor, right? Scripture says. And then after that eternal peace for all those who are in Christ Jesus. We're to keep our eye on that prize and we are to be careful when we you know, part of our trial is enduring temptation, that we don't put the temptation on God because we understand it's from our own evil desires. Jesus in Matthew 15 talks about uh, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth because what comes out of the mouth is coming from the heart. We have a heart problem. We have this heart that we're born with that's separated from God that seeks to uh, seek pleasure seek pleasure in and of itself, outside of the bounds of God. And we see that as the bad news, that that everyone is born with that heart, and that is why the good news is so good, that God has made a way for us to be reconciled, to be given a new heart, a flesh that seeks after him, as we encounter the gospel message that Jesus made a way for us to to have salvation in his eternal uh, payment that he made on the cross some 2,000 years ago. That is the good news that we, in spite of our dead heart that is full of sin and separated from God, God has made a way for us to have eternal life, to be reconciled and adopted into his family. And the sin that, uh, that we're seeing here, the sin that we all have to encounter on a daily basis, that, that penalty has been, has been uh, purchased and been taken by Jesus. That is the good news. Jesus took that penalty for us. God remains perfectly just, but his love and mercy is also demonstrated because he took that penalty. His justice and his holiness is represented on the cross, and so is his love and mercy because they're both reconciled. That Although God is just and holy, he also took the payment for us, for all who would believe. And so we, as we go and encounter these trials, we keep our eyes on the prize of this eternal life that is to come. And as we are in, uh, challenged with temptation in this world, we are to, to keep our eyes on what Christ has done and, and know that we are no longer bound by, by sin, that, that it no longer has power over us. And through the power and enabling power of the Spirit, we can have, uh, be victorious over sin for the glory of God. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Another warning. And then finally, here in verse 17, all these things that we're not supposed to do have been spoken of and what we're supposed to do. But ultimately, what it comes down to is what we were originally designed for. And that is to worship and behold our wonderful and amazing God. We can behold our wonderful and An amazing God. Verse seventeen says this Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights. It does not change like shifting shadows. I love how James ends this this, uh, section of Scripture here, of his letter to these dear brothers and sisters, and ultimately the Spirit writing to us. It talks about all these things that we are to do and not to do to to pursue this, this life of being thankful for God, but ultimately it comes down to this. What are we choosing to worship? And he says and reminds us, every good and perfect gift is from above. As we go to the Thanksgiving table this week, are we going to spend time thanking God for his goodness and all that he's provided for us? Every good gift, everything, every perfect gift is given to us by the Father of lights. Amen. The stars. We go out. We can see a lot of stars where we live on a clear night. And we go out and we see the stars, and we um, as they have a, as a Christian have the ability to roll that that amazing uh, wonder of the stars and the skies. We roll that to not just this, the creation, but we can then go on to the Creator and give Him the worship and adoration for creating those things for us we go and sit down at the table and we eat a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner and the turkey that we have and all those things and we can give thanks like anybody else in this world but we can go on beyond that turkey and being thankful for that turkey and we can give adoration and worship to the creator that allowed that turkey to be on our table good gift and every perfect gift comes from the father of lights those stars that we see As you study them closely, they twinkle, right? They have variation, shadows, different consistencies, different strengths. James takes this opportunity to say, look, yeah, the stars may twinkle and they might be very variable, but our Father is not. There is no variableness or shadow of turning. Praise be to God. If there's anything that I've come to be more thankful of this year is that although things seem to change in this world on a minute-by-minute basis, what truth is, should we wear a mask or not wear a mask? Who is our president? Is this the end times? All these things that are all changing, all these things. But the one thing that I've really come to, I've just, we've lived our life in in the area of gray, right? I'm a black and white kind of person. I want black and white. Like, this is bad. This is evil. This is sin. This is godly. Let's do godly. But here we are in this area of gray. We're in a church where God has called us to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. But yet, our government tells us we're not supposed to meet out of fear of health for other people. That's in a gray area. where, where Where do you land on that? Are you supposed to wear a mask or not wear a mask? This area of gray, I'm so sick of it makes me all the more grateful for a God who does not change the God who promised Abraham some thousands of years ago that he will have a people like the stars in the sky is the same God today his promises have not changed they haven't changed from yesterday they haven't changed today and they will not change tomorrow He is unchanging. The fancy word, immutability of God. All the more becomes so beautiful to me. His immutability, his ability to just be steadfast and remain the same in a world that just seems to change to whatever course. So thankful for that. And so let us be thankful this season for our God who does not change. And that as we endure these trials, we know even though we can't see it or we don't understand it, we know God is at work in them. And that those trials are producing endurance in our life. It's making us more mature. It's allowing us an opportunity to exercise, the putting our hope and faith in God and his promises in spite of what we're seeing. And ultimately, it provides for us a reason to worship our God who is unchanging. The promises of salvation that are found in Christ Jesus will not change. He is not a fickle God. No matter what happens in this world, we can rejoice in knowing that our position in Christ is sure and steadfast because he who promised is faithful. And that's what he says there in verse 18. James writes, by God's own choice, he gave us birth. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. By God's own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth. I pray that's you this morning. I pray that you've encountered Jesus in that way, that the gospel message has been given and delivered to you and that the Spirit has convicted you of your need to trust and receive Jesus as your Savior. And then by believing and receiving Him as Savior, that the, the promise is that we will be, be, be born again, born from above. Through the proclamation of this truth, He gave us birth, being born again by the word of truth. Is that you this morning? I pray that today, if it's not, that today would be the day when you abandon hope and all else and trust in Christ's accomplished work alone, that you too can be born again, that you too would be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's to glorify our God. Salvation glorifies him because it puts on display his wonderful attributes, his holiness, justice, and mercy, his love, his grace. All are on display in his rescue story that's found on this earth. So we have many things to be thankful for, church. God has called us to be thankful in everything, and I pray this might help us to keep our eyes on what truly um, is important, the things of, uh, of, not of this world, but the things that are above. Reminded of that, that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Behold his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. We have much to be thankful for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your your word. that We can understand why trials are allowed into our lives, Lord, and we just ask, Father, through the power of your spirit, that you would help us and strengthen us, Lord, for the trials that we are enduring now. The trials that will come later, Father, we desire to be, Father, firmly, uh, firmly planted in Your truth, that our roots would grow deep and and that we would mature in the faith, so that when those trials do come, Lord, that we will, through Your strength and Your power, be strong and steadfast, that we would not be blown away through the storms. Lord, we ask that for our good, of course, but also ultimately for Your glory that you receive glory in our lives, Father. I pray for those who do not know you as Savior and have not encountered Jesus in that way. I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would do a work, that they would be understand their need to reject all religion and self-righteousness and materialistic thought, Lord, and just embrace through the power of your Spirit the gift that you've extended to them, salvation that is found in Christ alone. Would you receive glory in that, Lord? Help us to go to the Thanksgiving table this week, Lord, with a heart of thankfulness for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus, that we can be thankful in everything, that in spite of what happens in this life, you've given us a, an amazing life that is to come. Thank you, God. To you be the glory. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to have a song of uh, imitation. We just like to take